All right, hello everybody. Billy Rainford here, Direct Motocross. We've got uh, what I like to call a little bit of a treat today. Um, very timely. I mean, with Dylan Wright having just done the uh, last five MXGPs over there in Italy, uh, we've got a gentleman here who, as far as we know, and as far as even Carl Bastido knows, maybe the last guy to have uh, kind of done a number of these things here. We're talking back a few decades, but uh, we've got a guy that I've been really wanting to talk to. I've actually never even met in person, I don't think, but uh, long story short, at uh, way too late for that. I've got Mike Harnden on the phone right now. Mike, thank you very much, man. Tough for talking with us. You're welcome, sir. All right, buddy. Now, um, I've got a few little aces up my sleeve. I had some people kind of contribute some uh, into this interview, walk down memory lane type thing. But uh, I mean, obviously, I, I say it's timely because you were a guy that did some MXGP, MX, just GPs, we called it back then, I guess. GPs back in the 80s and stuff like that, preseason stuff. We'll get to that. I mean, obviously, I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about how Dylan Wright did. I know you're a big MXGP fan, aren't you? You actually have the, uh, you pay for the MXGP TV thing every year. Yes, I uh, I instruct my wife to buy it for me for Christmas for, uh, since 2011. <laughs> okay. And just let me let me point this out right now that uh, you won't be hearing my voice as much uh, very soon here. I'm just trying to get things rolling here. But uh, we're going to let Mike tell some stories. I know I've, I've heard a couple, and, and some of them I just need to hear from him. And uh, some uh, kind of unbelievable here. I'd, uh, <laughs> and, of course, a guy from his era... You just can't get away from the Ross Patterson story. So I know, Mike, you're you're more than happy to talk about that, which I find uh, I find impressive. But uh, let's back way, way up here. I know you got kind of a late start, but first of all, um, how old are you right now, Mike? And where are you from? And where do you live now? Um, I'm 61, and uh, I live uh, just near Bob Cajun, Ontario. My wife and I have a, a, a lakefront house here, so we live here. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. Now, I'll just ask you a couple of my, uh, my normal questions that I always ask people. Uh, and sometimes I find them pretty interesting. Some of them, some stories are pretty good with this. Like, how did you first get your start? Like, why, why did you get into motocross? I started uh, uh, borrowing my cousin's, uh, uh, my cousin's mini bike at age 11. And I rode it more than, than she did, even though it was hers. So <laughs> she, wasn't too, she wasn't too pleased with that. But uh, uh then I got my own bike, you know, with a newspaper route and all that. And my dad gave me the money and I paid him back with a paper route. And then I bought another little 60cc bike. And then I ended up getting a, a TM125. And then I got an RM125. And then it was already a, a year old model when I went racing the first time. I was, I was almost 16 when I went the first time racing with a couple of other buddies from high school. We were in grade 10. And, uh, yeah, went racing, uh, uh, you know, I'd already been riding for four or five years at the time. You know. Okay, so you uh, 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 yeah you got a late start racing, not necessarily a really yeah. late start riding. I was already riding not too bad when I went to my first race. Yeah. Okay, because I know there's a couple of funny stories there when you like you know your first race you wanted to all of a sudden move up to intermediate, then two years in you wanted to move up to pro. But okay, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's all true. Hey, what 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 do you think now? Like you mentioned, paper route, saved up for a bike, bought a bike. Do you think that's changed? Because there's no way a kid is getting a paper route for the winter or whatever and buying a $12,000 bike these days. Has that aspect, has that changed the sport, do you think? Yes, for sure. For sure. Bikes, bikes when I was getting into it, uh, you know, late 70s, uh, the bikes were a lot cheaper relative to incomes back then. You know, there were, there, you know I, I don't follow the stats, but I know for a fact that... Uh, 
back in the late seventies, early early eighties, there were there were a lot more motorcycles sold in Canada than there are today. Right, just a yeah. lot more. Yeah, it just seems to me it seems like the whole thing has sort of changed in the fact in the fact that you know young kids like you say just get paper route, working on the farm whatever riding around the farm then going to races and stuff like that now it just seems to have uh, <clears throat> it just seems to have changed a bit I guess right the affordability then was was it's no comparison to now they were much much cheaper to buy relative to income I I had buddies uh, I had buddies that uh, that quit high school you know uh, after the twelfth grade you know they went and got a job at General Motors and just for that one job. You know, the next thing you know, they're getting married. They got a wife that doesn't work. They got a a boat, two snowmobiles, and a motocross bike <laughs> on one income. <laughs> now you're you're from a GM family, are you not? Yeah, my father worked for the purchasing department there for 28 years, and uh, so yes, I am from a GM family. Yeah. Okay, okay. Now I, another this, this is a lot of times this is my favorite uh, question. A lot of times it falls on its face, but uh, sometimes there's good stories. Uh, what was your first race number? Like why, why did you pick your first number on your bike? I don't even remember if I picked it or not. I, I, I just sent the money into the CMA by, by snail mail and, uh, and I got a number. I was, I was number 471. I don't remember even picking it. 471. Uh, okay. 471. I believe it was. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so I went racing like six or seven times in my first season in the junior class, 125 junior, typically four qualifiers. And then, you know, they all happened right after they watered the hell out of the track in the morning. And then you had to wait until five o'clock at night for one final. Yeah, do you remember that? Four qualifiers for junior. And my first race was 136 guys. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, I'll make the story short, but I fell in the first corner. I'm, I got a lousy gate pick with the. Closed the clothespins out, right. uh, out of the pot and got a lousy start. And I'd never been to a, on a starting gate in my life, so I, I, I fudged that and getting up to last. And I, I rode around like I rode around just as fast as I could. And four laps later, of course, the checkered flag. And I went back. And I'm cleaning my bike with the plastic scraper and the wire brush, scrambling to get ready for the last chance. And some guy I never even met in my life walked up and said, "What are you doing?" And I said. I've kept my bike ready for the last chance. I said, I didn't do any good in that race. I fell in the first quarter. He said, well, you got third. <laughs> I said, what? So yeah, yeah, it's on, it's on the piece of paper with the handwritten results over there uh, at Big Bend. So I said, that was cool. So I passed everybody with two and four laps. So that was nice. Wow, that was at Big Bend? Yep. Oh, man, yeah. It's, uh... April, April 1976. 1976. Isn't that amazing, huh? Wow. Okay. Um... So then I had to wait almost seven hours for the next moto. <laughs> right, and the track was dry and totally different, or was it? And, yeah, and then uh, I, I proceeded to, uh, to botch the start in the first corner and be laying under my bike there, too. <laughs> and uh, I got up, of course, angry and with, you know, with steam blowing out of all orifices, went through the pack as quickly as I could. You know, I don't even think I had anybody tear off, so it was a lot of thumb wiping. And, uh, and uh, at the very last lap, I passed one of my buddies, uh, who like started top three in the main that I came with? Because it was, it was <laughs> me and two other two fifteen year old buddies. Uh, one of them, one of their fathers, brought all of us with our three bikes on the flatbed skidoo trailer, right? With the ropes, hold them on, and, uh, <laughs> and I passed them on the last lap down the big downhill at the back of the big bend there. And I came back and you know crossed the checkered flag, and I found I got seventh and he got eighth uh, in the main. So he came in from coming from last. So that was pretty cool. That's uh, funny. I remember Big Bend, and if it rained in that uh, that down and up section there, I remember counting twenty six bikes stuck down there, and guys would just wait at the top and go, "Well, okay, here I go. I'll give it a shot." 
and just oh. yeah, they needed the Sikorsky to get them out. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Correct. There were more muddy races there than dry ones that I remember. Yeah, so it's it's a close race between that and Holy Golly for 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 terrible clay, you know, clay mud races. True, true. Hey, who was um, back when you got started? Did you have like a motocross hero? If you're in the late seventies, was guys like Roger DeCosta, or who was your who's your hero? Yeah, I was. Yeah, Heike Mickle and Roger DeCosta, and those guys were the you know the icons in Europe. And then you know the USA had their top guys, obviously with the Bob Hanna and the other Rock Glover and those other guys. So those are my idols for sure. Right, right. All right. David so David Bailey, you know, uh, no, he was David Bailey was too young to be in that crowd. But uh, yeah, I know late seventies. I'm thinking back to who was going, who was uh, good back then. Definitely. Uh, yeah, for sure. The Marties. Hannah and Glover were going on. That was right around the same era as the Let Brock by incident and all that stuff, wasn't it? In the what? Sorry. Oh, the Let Brock by. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> late seventies of the stuff. That's when I just got into the sport. So, anyways, I just. I rode junior one season, then I rode intermediate another season. I and at the end of those two seasons, I still never won a race. I got a bunch of, uh, I, I got I got between third and seventh in the junior stuff. Never got a good start in my life, and uh, ever. And then in the intermediate, I never got a good start either for a full season. But I got a lot of second places, but I never won. And then, then I went into I, I my my dad convinced me to stay into uh, stay in intermediate one more season or senior class one more season right because you wanted to go pro like after your second year or something yeah, right because so I, I was going i was going riding with the um, streetsville club i went to all these other races like other than cma uh, on any free weekends in november and march april and, and i went racing as much as i could so i went and raced against alan jagger and peter adams and those guys oh, from nice. mississauga you know what i mean yeah yeah nice so I went racing these two-hour, two-hour races they had, or two-hour motocrosses they call them or something. Oh, wow. I did those, and then I would, I would, I went down to race Robbie Hodgson at his home track. And I was just going all over the place. I just my whole my whole mission in life was to go and beat other people on their own tracks. So. Wow. So you had the you kind of like I said, late start to racing, but you had this just a, a crazy mental attitude, like toughness and attitude, right? Like that just. Uh, he just wanted to keep progressing yeah, and progressing. I, I had already, I already made up what I wanted. I made up my mind what I was going to do, and I was going to do anything humanly possible uh, to to achieve that. Uh, I was always stubborn like that. But my, my dad pulled me aside when I. My dad pulled me aside after my second year in, in intermediate, and uh, after I won all these races, and he said, "You know, son, uh, you know, you should be going to university. You know, we, we, <laughs> we want you to go to university." And else, and I said, I, I, "I'm not going, Dad. I'm taking a year off because I already have sponsorship and with motocross and stuff." And he, he told me, uh, "You know, the 99% of the people that go down the path you're planning on are going to fail, and you're not going to make any money." <laughs> and, and I kind of stuck back, took a deep breath, and I looked at him right in the eye, and I said, "Well, guess what?" I said, "I'm not going to be one of those guys." Yeah, that leaves one percent. I said, "I said you wait and see." <laughs> <laughs> I did, that that just fired me up. My dad telling me that I'm gonna fail. And I said, "Yeah, you watch this shit." And I just for the next seven years, I was on a year-round sponsorship with the bike park salary bonuses, the whole nine yards. Uh, now, did, was uh, was your family right into it? Like, did your did your parents no, and dad? Or, no, no. My dad, my mom and dad had already bought a cottage up on this lake where I'm sitting right now, <laughs> just down about a few doors down the down the shoreline. They have oh. a, they still to this day they're both still alive and they have a nice place water for a lakefront home just down the street oh. or down the shoreline from me right now and uh, they bought that when I was eight years old you see and they started uh, moving up there and everything and 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 getting rid of the Oshawa house and my dad would he would he retired from taking me to the races in the first season he threw his hands in the air said I'm not doing that I'm going to go up where, 
where I got my boat and snowmobiles and all that. I'm not going to the race, dusty, dirty motocross with you. So you had to, were so you driving then? Or were you going with buddies or were you driving? What were you doing? Yeah, buddies. Buddies until I you know my driver's license. Then I was born in my mother's car with a snowmobile trailer. <laughs> my parents weren't behind me at all. They were just, well, they were just glad that I was safe every Sunday night when I contacted them after the races. Now, I've got to, I mentioned uh, having some people come in and, uh, and give me some stories and stuff like that. I guess this is why and when uh, our old friend Brett Daly kind of comes into the picture, right? Like he became kind of a your man friend, yeah. call it whatever, your buddy that went to the races? Yeah, he was a, he was a local Oshawa buddy of mine, yeah. And he, he would see, he and, he and a couple of his other friends of similar age were all members of the Oshawa Competition Club. We were all members of the local Oshawa Dirt Bike Club. There was like, a hundred, I don't know, 100 or 200 members or something. And they had their own property, like 15 minutes north of Oshawa. They had their own right. property, the 100 acres of the motocross track on it. And there was races every Wednesday night there for the club. So uh, we all know each other from, from then. Right, right. I think OCMC still does that, I believe, don't they? There you, there you go. Yeah, <clears throat> Their new property is some uh, flatter a pancake place on Brock Road North, Pickering, I believe. <laughs> all right, well, let's, okay, so you... You move up through the ranks really quickly. You've turned pro. What was your? Fr- I see. The, I, I. I mean, obviously, read right on the uh, Legends of Canadian Motocross LOCMX.com. Check that out uh, yeah. if you want to see any uh, <clears throat> any old stories on the old guys and stuff like that. But uh, your first win, I think, was like Alverton in uh, 1981 or something. Yes, it was. Yeah, and uh, that was all during my my uh, competition against Mr. Peterson and. Uh, you know, he, he obviously has hundreds of wins and lots of national titles <laughs> to my lonely one. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, it was what it was at the time. Something I could do about that. I mean, tried to beat him, tried to beat him. And, yes, I, I won four different uh, a, uh, Canadian national races. I won uh, uh, one 250 race uh, national at Overton. And, uh, and then I won three others. One was at Thunder Bay in 1982, and the other two were – in my winning season in 84, one at uh, Austin and one at uh, Edmonton. Yeah, nice. Now, now, there might, might be some, uh, I don't know how many young kids will be listening to this, but so, uh, kids won't realize, like, but, like, they hear those ages, dates and stuff like that, and they think, oh, God, probably on those old slow bikes. But right then is right when the bikes really changed and really progressed. So, I mean, we were on, like, those were good bikes. Like, they changed from the old double shock things with no suspension to all of a sudden you were like you know you were in the days when things got uh, things got good like i know you won your championship in 84 we're up into getting into almost front discs and all that kind of stuff and everything was yeah. everything was fast no the bike the, the the bikes were good the suspension even in 81 and then you know again 82 and 84 the years i won the amy canadian nationals rather uh the bikes had a, a 12 inches of suspension travel front and rear. I don't think the new ones are much different. Right. No, for sure. Yeah, you can't just keep going, oh, the newer ones, we have 10 more inches every year. <laughs> <laughs> Not unless you're talking about a pogo stick. <laughs> hey, now, and what was... Um... What were the tra- tracks like? You obviously mentioned Thunder Bay. I'm not familiar with that track. I don't even know if you know the Thunder Bay track would be. I know Oliverton is just in a, probably a lot of people's favorite track in Canada with the natural stuff. Lovely track. I love. I I I always loved going there. That was great. Yeah. It, it was the same back then as it is now, pretty much. It had an extra downhill uphill section that, uh, way out in the back corner that they don't use currently, uh, I believe. But uh, you know, but yeah, Oliverton was a great place and uh, like Cope Town. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot like Cope Town, I guess. Right, kind of. Yes, yes, and uh, you're absolutely right, and uh, it was like that, but uh, Alverton's a kind of a softer ground, rougher than Coketown I ever got, but uh, yeah, the Coketown, the, 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 the newer version of Coketown. I race at the old Coketown and the new Coketown right. back in my day, so. Right, right. 
they were only a few miles apart. Right. I went and watched at the old one and raced at the newer one. So I, I know I don't know about yeah, the yeah. newer one. Yeah, I, I, I raced in, uh, in, uh, in, in the 82 at the newer one. I got, of course, uh, uh, it, it's two second places. Can't imagine who beat me. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about him. Don't worry. We have to. Uh, <laughs> uh, just that's just so funny. Okay, now what? So back in the day, like you went across the country. I mean, the series was different. But what, what were the good tracks, and what ones did you like? Besides all the um, I can't honestly say I liked any of the tracks in BC. Uh, BC is. Uh, I mean, I raced at uh, what's it called Alder Grove. Okay, yeah, yeah, Boulder Grove. Correct. <laughs> I'm glad you said it first. Okay, uh, it made Moto Park look like it had no stones. <laughs> right. Back in the seventies or eighties, so yeah, I'm not a fan of that. And then we raced the, the year I won the championship. We raced at Kelowna. Okay. And I, I never forget going to this place in Kelowna to the track, and as you're driving in, all you see is these beautiful hillsides manicured beautiful hillsides and I'm thinking oh this we're going to go to a track with some really cool hills and stuff and then the track itself was in a flat place where the elevation was was nothing yeah it's funny and they still was, they still do that it was, it, was, it was buried in wood chips yeah they still do that I mean you can't the, the mountains are obviously there's just no dirt really it's all rock and stuff and then obviously that land is expensive too so I mean even near in the mountains the tracks just end up being on the flat valleys yeah it, it is what it is it uh I surely had my hopes up until I got to the real thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> nice. Okay, and what yeah, BC BC was what it was. Edmonton, we went to we, it was the uh, I, I won the national there. Antler Lake, I love that place. That's, that was good. It, I mean, it's hard clay. It's got some big hills though. You know, old school. Uh, I like that. I really like that. And then the, the weekend after that, we went to uh, the race uh, at the Sandy Track in Austin, uh, uh, and I won the overall there too. That's that's deep sand. I mean, that's. Closest thing to riding over in Holland or Belgium that you can get as far as Canada goes, I think. Right. I was going to ask you about Austin. Everybody talks about that. I went looking for it last time I drove through there, and uh, I, of course I couldn't find it. But uh, yeah, I'd never been there before, but uh, everyone talks about that sand track from back in the day. Really, really soft sand. Bottomless. Bottomless. I mean, you know, go for, I, you know I raced at Gopher Dunes a bunch as well, and so on after my A-Day, you know, I've, I went back racing when I was, you know, in my 30s and 40s, and went to go for dunes and made some guest appearances there and pissed a bunch of people off. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but um, anyways, uh, yeah, Austin was great. I mean, they didn't have a groomer, you know, they barely had a water hose for it. But recently, luckily, at the time I raced there, it had rained previous, and it didn't need any watering, and it didn't get any grooming either. I mean, it was extremely rough and tough. All right, oh, okay, that's cool, man. Nice. Now, what about uh, Canadian Supercross stuff back in those days? Canadian Supercross, there wasn't much. I mean, it was Toronto and it was Montreal. Right. And uh, I um, I finished second in that series. So if you can call two races a series, but the CMA called it two, a series two races back then. So um, 81 and uh, 82. I got second in one of those series. I, got, I, got, I finished at career high fifth at Toronto once. In the main, and that was when uh, O'Mara and Barnett and all those guys were there. Right, right, for sure. And so I, I got fifth in the main there. I guess whole shot my heat, led Barnett for a bit and everything else, and he passed me and went away and with his bike that was 25 pounds lighter than mine. <laughs> yeah. He had the 195-pound RH 250 back then in 81. So nice. That was, uh, that was a handy item I wish I had, but uh, 
uh, going forward, it's okay. I mean, I was never great at Supercross. I did my best at the time and uh, got fifth there once. I got seventh in Montreal at that one, but I'm, I don't have any Supercross uh, results to boast about, that's for sure, but I still got second to the rollerball, so it seemed to be a common thing for me back then. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, I remember uh, I remember back when, you know, and I was a kid, I was I'm a bit younger, and I was in classes way below you and stuff like that, but it was always a big deal when you'd look and you'd, like, show up at, the, at, a, at a race, and it wasn't even always a national, but, you know, Ross would show up, you'd show up, Al Dick would be around, Serge Gregoire, yep. Glenn Nicholson, Doug Hoover, all these, it was just such a big deal back then. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to yeah, ask you... Cool. The, the, the big dogs coming into the local race. Yeah, it was yeah, it was just pretty amazing. It's like holy shit, what are these guys doing here? But uh, yeah, I want to yeah. ask you if, about some specific guys later. I'll, I'll fire some names at you. But uh, I mean, <laughs> obviously we well, we you know we want to talk about uh, the MXGP stuff, which of course you did. You would do that. Explain that. Two years, I think you went over and did. Uh, I think the total yeah, is sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll briefly explain it. Three years. What okay. I started doing is once I once I told my dad I wasn't going to, to college or university, <laughs> I went to Florida and did the Winter Am and stuff, and I got like fifth in the in the five hundred class down there on a Can Am, uh, an open Can Am of all beasts, and uh, four hundred CC MX six or something. So then from there, then I got the Yamaha ride in Canada, and I told them right when I signed up with them, you know, I. I need bikes like right after Christmas because I'm going away for three, four months and I'm coming back right when the season starts to get ready. Right. So I need bikes early, you know, parts, stuff like that. So I went in 81 to California. I did the Golden State Series in its entirety. I did the Anaheim Supercross. And I went to Seattle for that Supercross and across for Atlanta, Daytona. I did all those races and then back to for Lake, I, I did... Uh, Hangtown, Saddleback Outdoors, Lake Whitney, Texas. I was all over the map in my van and uh, doing all these races down there in the States. Right? And then in 82, I did a kind of a condensed version of the same in the USA until the, the outdoor season started in Ontario in April. And then I ended up getting uh, switching from Yamaha to Honda in the, for the start of 83. And uh, Honda opened up a new, you know, a new team and so on and I, I signed up with them, and the bikes were great, and everything was great, and their support was great. So I started right in the beginning of 83. I went straight over to, I flew to Amsterdam, from Toronto to Amsterdam, and I raced uh, well, over the years three different seasons, from January to mid-April. Okay. And um, in, in, I based out of Holland, but I went to Germany, and I went you know to Switzerland, I went to Italy, I went to France, I went to Belgium, and I went to all these different countries over there, and I went to the UK on selective occasions, racing all these international races they used to give start money, and I was like the only Canadian, so I got a decent buck to show up, hmm. went out and gave them my all and got some prize money if I finished half decent, if I didn't, I didn't, but uh, I did a lot of that, and I was also signed up for the first three or four GP, so... Uh, I, I did either 250 or 500 GPs, depending on the season we're talking about, 83, 4, 5. And uh, got home just in time for this, the Holly Gully opener. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, now, okay, so you, what were you, so you'd fly over there and then grab a bike from, like, what would you do for bikes? One year, I, I shipped my Honda Canada bike over. I shipped a CR480 uh, over there, or CR500, whatever it was, right. and then shipped it back. Uh, it was expensive. And a lot of headaches with customs and delays, and so I only did that once. The other two years, I just went over there with money in my pocket, bought a brand new stock bike at the dealership in Holland, and I put on some white power suspension and aftermarket pipe, huh. and I raced it. With I was my own mechanic. I, I, I brought a buddy along with me sometimes to 
a wire breasted chain and putty knife it off. I had no, no canopy, no pressure washer, nothing. I went to all these races, GPs included, with a stock bike just with pipe suspension and uh, and then I just took all the good stuff off it and put it in my uh, my luggage to come home in April and I sold the bike back to the dealership used. <laughs> that's, that's what I did. I, honest to God, no more than that. You couldn't find anybody in my pit with a team uniform. Right. So you, you go over there, did you buy a, like a van and stuff too? I rented a van. I connected with my Dutch friends there. I made friends with some Dutch riders over there. Uh, Davy Stribos, uh, uh, John Vanderberg, Keith Vandervan, uh, Hank Vermeerlo, Gert Jamendor. Those are all my buddies on a first-name basis. I trained and practiced with them like every week. Went to the same exercise fitness center in Brabant in the province uh, south of Holland. There. I know all those guys on a first-name basis. I still keep in touch with a lot of, with a lot of them today. And I went practicing everywhere they did. They're all all faster than me, and they all had like real sponsorship over there, as opposed <laughs> to me buying a bike from a dealership, right? So I just kind of hung around following those guys during the weekend. I went to the big, biggest races I could get into on the weekend. That's it. All right. Well, hey, I, I got a, uh, it's a bit of a loaded question here. but uh, So you went down to Florida and California like you used to and stuff like that, and then you decided yep. to go to Europe and – I'm told there's a bit of a story about Indian dunes that may have had something to do with you not wanting to go back to California or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, that, that was a real prize. <laughs> I drove I drove by myself with two brand new YZs in the back of my van. I, I drove 18 hours, slept, got up, did it again, slept, did it again, and I woke up and I went to the beach in California, and it's just like, you know, December 29th or something. And I go, oh, look at the weather here. The weather's awesome. I'm ready to go. I got bikes, you know, my, my kit. And I went to Indian Dunes for my very first practice day. And I'm out there and I paid the money and I'm out there and I'm doing laps. You know, I, I just hide the keys under the spare tire, my, on my <laughs> under the tire of my van, lock my van and go ride, come by myself. So I would go out there and I'm pounding out motors on the practice track. I high-sided and smashed my face on, on the ground as in fourth gear. And, and snap my front teeth off first day I was there. So <laughs> keep going. So okay. So <laughs> I get in my van and I limp out of there. Of course, not even able to talk. You need your the backside of your front teeth to put your tongue against to speak. <laughs> so that wasn't too uh, convenient. And I went into Los Angeles suburbs, like a what do they call it? The, the the Valley, San Fernando Valley, North LA, near where Jimmy Holly and all those yeah. guys live. I went in there and I found a dentist. There's no internet, right? So I still I got into Yellow Pages and a pay for a phone book and found like an emergency dentist or something. I parked my van, went in and saw the guy, and the guy fixed me up. He put some caps on my teeth and some sedation and all that stuff. And I came out, my van was gone. <laughs> Every vehicle on the parked on the on the street. I guess I didn't see the the. the those old toys on after 4 p.m. or something, right? So it was gone. So then I had to ask around to find out where my van was. Of course, I had to, I had to, I don't know, I either hitchhike or walk there. I forget. And I had to, you know, shell out, shell out big U.S. cash to get my vehicle back out of the goddamn impound. So <laughs> it was, it wasn't ideal. So you had to, and then, and then if. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did you not sleep in like a shed for the whole winter? Jim Hawley's shed or something? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I met up with Jim Hawley very quick and uh, when I was there. And, uh, yeah, no, Jim, Jim's a great guy, longtime friend of mine. And, uh, and, I, and I, I, they had like a, a shed, like a lean-to off the back of their garage. And I think <laughs> I slept on a mattress with a sleeping bag there for months. <laughs> That was about that was that was that was about as, about as risky as it got. <laughs> Jeez, 
So, but you you stuck it out, right? You stuck it out until it was time to go home. Yeah, get... yeah. I was getting, I was getting. I went to my very first Gold State race there, and I won the race on my on my YC four ninety. I won the Gold State. It was a few days after Christmas, and then the guy told me after the race, one guy I was standing to get my prize money. The guy said, "You realize that none of the good guys came in?" Eh? And I said, "Yeah, I kind of figured as much." So we're all the all the heroes. They said, "Well, they don't come if it's raining." Oh. <laughs> Because it was a kind of a muddy race at Carlsbad. Okay. So, uh, so then the next weekend is sunny and nice, and I got ten ten. <laughs> because of all the guys, the good guys showed right. <laughs> they're very, they're very fair weather sort out there. At least they were back then. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. When it rains down there, it's like they didn't like, want to get dirty. No, it's like when the it snows. Boy didn't want to get any mud on his outfit. <laughs> oh, sure. But in the good weather, he was <laughs> much faster than I was. <laughs> Okay, so then, uh, okay, another another story we got to talk about. I'm not sure if it was wh- wh- when this happened, but uh, you got to tell the burning van story. Oh, Christ. Uh, told it too many times, Billy. <laughs> I haven't heard uh, it. We haven't heard it in your voice. It. I've seen it typed, but I've never heard it in your voice. I rented a van, a big Mercedes 508 van, which is like a motorhome slash you know, bike transporter. <laughs> yeah. Like a, like a good-sized vehicle. Rented it from a rider who had just snapped his leg. He was a competitive motocross guy, one of the Dutch riders' friends, one of the, my, my friendly Dutch uh, buddies' buddy. A buddy's buddy, but he snapped his leg in a crash, and he was out for months, right? So he's on, like, disability or something from his job, and he just was a weekend racer anyways. But I rented his van from him. Yeah. And then Gertham and Doran's father got wind that I had this van, and, he, and I was actually paying room and board from him, from Gertham and Doran's dad, who's a former GP rider and Dutch mm-hmm. champion, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, he said, well, that motor has a lot less kilometers on it than, than ours. I'm going to work a deal with, you know, with the, what's his name, uh, that you got the van from here that you're renting it from. I'm going to work a van, work a deal with him, like a swap motor. So, they, so Gary's dad <laughs> took the motor out of the diesel engine, out of the truck that I was renting. He said, "Mike, you'll only be without it for a day or so. Don't worry about it." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so he unhooked everything and took the motor out, you know, with a winch and crane and everything, and put it in his truck and put his old worn-out one in mine, rental. So now I got an older motor, but I guess the deal remains the same. I just I got a older motor, so. You know, I can't even understand half the thing these guys are saying because they're talking Dutch, right? And I'm just learning the language at the time. So I, now I continue driving the thing. And the very first outing I had on it was I was going to this race down in France. And I'm driving by myself. I couldn't get anybody to come with me at the last minute. I normally never go by myself to a race. But I did this time. I'm by myself going down the road in this thing. You drive the things right to the floor. They do like 105 kilometers an hour, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're diesel. and They got like governors or whatever. So... All of a sudden, I start smelling smoke, and, and it's it's leaking out around the the, the, the doghouse. And I'm like, shit, so I stop, get out, park the thing on the side of the, the Autobahn now. I'm like in Belgium or Germany. So I get out, and I look, and it's like flames engulfed in front of the, behind the grill. <laughs> so I'm like, Jesus Christ. So I, so I open the back of the truck. I take the bike out. Because I, I, there's no way I can, I'm losing that to a fire. Right. I take I take out the five gallon can of gasoline, the premix, right? And yeah. take that out, and and my, but my gear, my passport, and my personal clothing were all in behind the driver's seat in the little living compartment in the uh. front, right? And I never got to that in time. The flames were were were, were come flying out the side of 
you know, it's like a bread van door. They were flying out the side there, the, the step door. <laughs> yeah. And I and 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 I was trying to, I was trying to get back in to get my stuff, and that was not happening. There's just too many flames, and and then the thing started. I left it in like with the standard. It's a standard transmission with a, a, the stick shift coming out of the floor. I left it in like second gear or something, or first or second gear. Left it in and, and just you sh- shut the engine off, right? And the thing's not going to roll because you're in gear. But the thing started by itself. The, the wires, the ignition <laughs> wires, contact melted together, contact, and it started. It went rah, 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 rah. It started going forward up the side of the shoulder of the road. <laughs> and, and I'm like, ah, and it was like, stop. I, don't know, I don't know why, but it was wide open. Wide open, <laughs> starting by itself. Like, the gas pedal down. And I wasn't even pushing the gas pedal. I'm like, you, this, this can't be happening. And I, I reached in with my foot and pushed, pushed on the brake to slow the stupid thing down. And it burnt my foot off so badly. I had like second degree burns on my foot. And I jumped up the side of the truck. So what am I going to do now? I can't do nothing. They went wide open up the side of the highway, banging off the guardrail. <laughs> Angle, banging off the guardrail. On fire. Banging, banging. Yeah, yeah, on fire. <laughs> fire billowing out the roof. Like like just collapsing the windshield, billowing out the roof type of thing. And... And it kept doing that, and now I'm like jogging behind it. The, the loading ramp's dragging off 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 the the bumper clip. Mm-hmm. It's still clipped on, dragging. Back door's open, and it's going out of, out of sight now, wide open, <laughs> banging on the guardrail. And the guardrail tapers down to nothing. It goes off the embankment. It goes down like a hundred meter embankment, like a thirty degree angle, straight down to the ditch, full gas, and, and it hits the ditch at the drainage ditch at the bottom, like straight on, smashes and explodes. Exploded. Yep. And my bike and the gas can are laying on the shoulder of the road 200 meters back. So you just turned around and walked back to the bike? I didn't know what to do at this point. The guy with the tow truck pulled over. He said, what's going on? I said, have a peek of this. <laughs> and he said, who are you? I said, you got any idea? I said, no, it's in the truck. Oh, man. So, it so, wasn't a happy time. Well, what happens next there? What do you do? What would you do for the rest oh, of the trip? Right. You know, the, the tow truck guy agreed to use his his uh, his uh, equipment on his tow truck to pick my my bike up, picked it up flat like like a like a dead cow, and laid it on the back of his truck. Mm-hmm. My C, my CR five hundred <laughs> and the gas can, and, and then he put, he said jump in the passenger seat. He said we're gonna call you know we're gonna call uh, the emergency people. They're gonna like move pull the truck out of there, like out of the the ditch all burnt to hell like a skeleton down there, right? And it was like a raging fire. So they called the fire department, did whatever they did, emergency services. And the guy owned his own wrecking yard, like a like a storage wrecking yard or something. So he took me he took me to the local town near where his shop was. He put my motorcycle in his shop inside the building and stored it for me. And he uh, he arranged to have the tow truck with the winch cable pull that truck out of the ditch and bring it back to his yard, wow. you know, a few kilometers away. And then he loaned me money for train fare to go back to the town in Holland where I live. And you didn't miss a race? No, I, well, I missed the race on Sunday. This was Saturday <laughs> afternoon, so I did miss the race. Oh, I thought you were hardcore. I, I wanted to make that one, honestly. <laughs> oh, man, like that's just ridiculous. I had to go to The Hague in the Netherlands to apply for a new passport, replace the passport, the whole nine yards. Right, right. Oh, man. And I don't even want to talk about that anymore. It was depressing. Well, I know, but we had to hear you tell the story. Jesus Christ. Sorry, I'm sorry. There's, there goes all that therapy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 yeah. It, yeah. A lot of people would have quit before this happened. I, I promise you that. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. That's. I mean, that's uh, people listening to this would be. Oh, okay. I guess uh, that time I forgot my helmet at home wasn't uh, wasn't the worst thing that could possibly happen. Uh, it, it was. It was extremely discouraging. I had no riding equipment. I had races coming up starting the next weekend. I had no riding gear. I had to go bum riding gear to wear. Oh my god! It was. Uh, I got to go in another vehicle. Oh. <laughs> it was a setback, but I kept fighting. Nice. Now, okay. Well, okay. We'll move on from that. You can get to let you. Uh, yeah, please do. Get yourself back together here. But uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> Brett. Brett also mentioned that uh, he gave me a nice little uh, little cheat sheet here of some things to talk about, and he mentioned that uh, there's just just the different way that you found that the guys rode over there, and they're like no name guys blowing past you in like time qualifying and stuff over at the GPS. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think he, I think you can bounce it off Dylan Wright. He'll tell you the same. Right. Uh, you know, guys that consistently don't get top results in the main motos are extremely fast for one lap in the qualifying. So you have to deal with all of that, and then how many fast guys there are on the uh, on the, in the qualifying part of the program. It was that always happens on the Saturday when I was over there. They did the, the two day format as opposed to what they're doing now. But still, I mean, you got all these riders, and uh, there's a bunch of guys over there that are blistering faster one lap, and they know all the little tricks to get a fast time and. Uh, yeah, so it took a while to get used to, but uh, I still I still qualify. I think I, I've done 14 G, GPs over there in Europe, and uh, I qualified 12 out of 14 times. I had a couple issues where I was the first reserve, and meaning, meaning you were 16th, 17th, or 18th in your group out of like 35. And I was always in the top 15 of uh, uh, all the other ones, so I was safely in, and I got reserved a couple times. So in case someone uh, gets injured, uh, they got they can call a reserve right. up to the gate on Sunday. But both times I got reserve, it never happened. But whatever, that's neither here nor there. Right now, what was your best race? Like, what did you? How did they go? Uh, I most of the time I would finish between seventeenth and nineteenth. Seventeenth to twentieth was most of my results over there. That was the best I could get on Sunday over there. I mean, but I mean, it's just as tough now as it is uh, back then, or, or or probably tougher. I don't know. I'm 61 years old, but uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I uh, I would go there on Saturday, and there was, sometimes it'd be 105 entries, and they only take 40. Oh wow! So there were some pretty crammed uh, qualifying groups, and it's based on lap time, right? So if if they take the top 10 and automatically put them in, then they got you got 30 spots left. And you got ninety guys, all ninety or ninety-five guys, all biting at thirty spots for Sunday, and uh, so it is tough. And everyone's going like flat up and out, trying to do their one fastest lap. So it's tough, right? But uh, I, I got in uh, fourteen to twelve times out of fourteen out of all the GPs I did there. Some of them were on two fifty, some of them were on five hundred, all on Honda. All right, okay. Now, do you think uh, like doing that? It just totally different experience. I mean, looking back, there's just great stories and stuff. But do you think that was a smart way to go? Like, you know, to prepare you for racing Canada? Yeah, I, I really, I have no regrets. After doing those international races in Europe in 83, four or five, and, and, and uh, you know, I was over there for three and a half months, three years in a row. And for doing for what I did, uh, when I did it, and the experience I gained, and just the amount of fast riders and the competitiveness of the whole thing, uh, over there, I mean, it may be a faster rider. I mean, when I came back, oh, when I came back, it was fantastic. The first few races I did in Ontario and whatnot, or uh, yeah, I was, I was just used to racing everybody over there, so I was just riding the same speed as fast as I could go. But I was light years of fast everybody, faster than everybody around <laughs> here. Uh, so it worked really well for my confidence and uh, and my speed, my speed and my fitness were, were right on point, and it gave me the best chance I could to try to win here and, and, and you know, accept that uh, 
most of the time, Ross Peterson was still better, right? But aside from that, uh, no, I, I have no regrets. It's tough over there. There's a lot of fast guys, and to, to do well over there, I mean, you you got to be right on your game, man. It's uh, it's no free lunch over there. Everybody's over there fighting to, fighting to survive, and it's hard. I mean, um, just for example, I got the best I ever got in a GP moto over there was 17, 17 to 18, in a 40 plus two moto over there, and uh, and then like in '84. I got home and I was only home three or four weeks and I went down to Mount Morris and I got like a 13.9 in, in the 500 class there. Mm-hmm. And it had a whole bunch of factory guys on the line. So for me to get a 13.9, I'm like, whoa, uh, that's not bad. I mean, I'd never done great in the States uh, by any stretch, but, uh, you know, getting a, getting a ninth in the second moto there at Mount Morris on my CR, uh, on my CR 500, whatever it was, in 84, that was encouraging. I'd never got that high in the GP, so. Nice. And you, you, how many times did you do the motocross of nations? I know in 1985 you did, right? Was that Gaildorf? No, where was it? Yeah, the motocross of nations story is a short one. Oh, I've only done it once. I wasn't even selected to ride in 85. Oh, I never was selected story. in years past. And in 85, I was selected only because Ross Peterson hurt himself the weekend before at a, at a supercross that I was at as well up in Sweden. And he took a handlebar to the stomach and he ruptured his spleen and had to have that, uh, uh, he had to have an emergency operation and have it removed. So his, uh, you know, even though his bike was sent there, like to, to do the Sweden race and go to Germany for the destinations, he wasn't available to ride. So I, uh, I managed to borrow a CR250 from uh, from Hank Vermeerlo, a Dutch rider in, in Holland, and, and take his bike uh, down to Galdorf, West Germany, and I kind of filled in in Ross's empty spot at the last minute. Well, and you were hurt too, though, were you not? You know, well, I was. I, I had a, a nasty thigh bruise because in Sweden. In Sweden, I was you know, running, I don't know, sixth or seventh in the main event or something, and, and I short I short jumped the double and went over the handlebars at warp speed. <laughs> and DNF, and my, my, my leg was badly bruised. But it doesn't matter. It's no excuses. I, it was all limbered up and ready to go for the next weekend. So I filled in in Ross's uh, absence. That's it. With Alan Dick and Doug Hoover. Al Dick, Doug Hoover, Mike Harn, and that's a pretty solid team. Yeah, and uh, I had the Peterson jersey on, but there was a nice strip of duct tape covering his name on my back. <laughs> we have photos of that? <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I still have the jersey hanging up in my garage for that jersey. Oh, that's cool. With the tape on, or does it say Peterson on the back? I think I might have taken the tape off, just, just to give evidence of whose it was. That's a good story, that shirt, though, if anybody ever asks. Yeah, by the way, it got rinsed out in a bucket of dirty water and hung over the snow fence to drive between motos. <laughs> Hey, okay, it was so, because there was only one. Oh, that was it. Yeah, no, no, brand new kid in the ziplocks like the new boys. No, no, you're not pulling tags off. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I got, I, I got, I rode 250 there. Uh, Al rode 125. Sorry, Al rode 500 in uh, Yamaha, and Al had, uh, Doug rode 125. And uh, in my motors on 250, on a 250 Honda, I got a 10.5 and an 8. So hey. we ended up only 10th overall as a team. Nothing great, but uh, that's what happened. Hey, while I'm thinking of it, you're, we're talking about Al Dick and uh, Doug Hoover. I mean, two really smooth, I'd say, riders. Who, looking back, who would you say, like, Doug was so stylish, I thought, and stuff too, but who would you say was the, uh, the best rider, well, aside from Ross, but who was the smoothest, kind of most naturally gifted rider? I would say Al Dick. Al, Al, Al Dick beat me a whole bunch of times back then in the day and uh, a lot of different races. I mean, I don't think I ever had any head-to-head battles in any series with him 
per, per se, because he was a little bit younger than me, I'm pretty sure. So was Doug. A little bit younger than me, maybe three, four years. Because bo- both you guys, I think about number two. If I think of number two, it's you and Al Dick are both number twos that I remember. Yeah, yeah. Al Dick's a bit younger than me. He was just coming on after I had already kind of been at my peak for a bit. I think he's a little bit younger than me, but I might be wrong. But, uh, no, Al Dick was amazing, man. He's, he's tall and lanky, but he's extremely smooth. He always got wicked starts and uh, just a real talented guy, good guy. Right. Now, okay, so back then, so you're going over to Europe. You're doing these uh, GP races in the off season. Uh, the internationals, yep. The internationals, doing some interesting places in different countries, and then you hit a couple of GPs. Did you get any offers? And I mean, now we know that Dylan is probably, you know, there's some guys taking, teams taking a look at Dylan Wright for next year and stuff like that. I, you know what I mean? Like advice, like did you get any offers? And uh, is that something you would really look into now if you had the choice? I, chance? I, you know what? I wish I had gotten an offer. I mean, I was hoping. I was hoping because uh, I I spent so much time in Holland. I, I learned to speak Dutch fluently with all the oh. people I was hanging around with there in Holland, so I could speak Dutch fluently in the whole bit. So and I and I and I could speak some French just from my high school uh, learning there and hanging around with Serge Gregoire and Buddy Ford and all those guys back in the day in the late seventies, uh, early eighties. But uh, no, you know what, uh, Billy? I wish I had gotten an offer to give the you know the full GP series a shot, GP series a shot, but. I mean, I'm going to be brutally honest. My results weren't good enough, so I didn't get any offers. Yet. Right, right. So, but now I like say, like, we're, you know, to, to bring this around to Dylan again, uh, say he does get an offer. Obviously, he's two-time defending 450 motocross champ here. What, uh, yeah. any advice there? What would you say? Like, looking back and kind of, you know, if you had that uh, chance. Yeah. I, 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 I hope, I hope he gets an offer. I mean, Dylan has, has uh, it seems as though he's had more success outdoors than indoors in his career. He's never really had any proper opportunities to do well in, uh, in, in Supercross. I mean, he's, uh, he's done some arena cross and things like that, but he's never had the proper bike set up for those, those four foot tall whoops that are all spaced out like metal desks. <laughs> um, uh, I know what they're like. Uh, yeah, those things are unbelievable. I mean, I never seen any good out of myself back in the day. But they are a lot bigger now than they were when I was racing Supercross. So, I mean, that provides a complete different setup. He's never had the proper setup to even be able to show uh, what he can do uh, in that in that arena. But I mean, obviously, he's a accomplished outdoor guy, good guy. I mean, I uh, I uh, I met uh, Dylan and his father back in 2004 and, uh, and I invited them over to where near where I lived I used to live near Ottawa at the time and uh, they lived by Sandy Lee I invited them over to ride around at a practice track the nice practice track that I had oh, cool. uh, back in the early 2000s when I was riding Vet Master and stuff uh, in the plus 40 and they came over and rode with me a couple of different times and uh, Dylan was on a, I think he was on a KTM 65 and just just flying <laughs> wide open on the KTM 65 just a runny nose and a single digit age I mean kid couldn't even been 10 <laughs> right and, and, and his dad, I've known his dad and him since then so I know they've been personal friends of mine for a long time nice people and uh, and, his, and uh, Bill's wife Natalie I know I know all those those, those folks they're nice folks and, uh, and the Bill was just young and just getting into it on a 65 back at the time. So I've been around that long. I've seen so is he, but he's a, he, he, he impressed the heck out of me over, over there in Europe. His last uh, several weeks that he spent there in Italy doing the destinations and all those GPs to finish there. I mean, the kid, I'm just impressed to death. The kid, the kid's a fighter. The kid's hungry. and He's very determined. He, he doesn't fade. He's in shape. He goes strong right to the end. And I think a lot of people over there recognize that. that the, yeah, he didn't get the great starts to, to go out there and show what he can do against the front six or seven, even though he had the lap times to be there. But uh, being there, you know, having the lap times to show you're there and actually getting there and proving it or 
few different things. There's a lot of hungry dogs over there on the line, and uh, and you know. But I think for what you know, the equipment he had to ride over there, you know, the uh, the Gopher Dunes uh, Honda bike that he has that was shipped over, and for what he had to work with, and it was great. He had a team helping him and stuff, but uh, he still did absolutely fantastic uh, compared to what I did over there. He did much better. Right, yeah, he definitely turned heads, obviously, and there are people sniffing around and stuff. But and like, like you say, like late in the motos, I mean, they obviously didn't show him on the uh, on the broadcast. But I, I was lucky enough to have the chance to be there, you know, in in person. And he, you know, he fell twice in the one race. He came back and caught back up with the same guys, like guys that are on factory teams. You know what I mean? Like he was. Yeah, no, he was. He was. He was fantastic, strong, and killer lap from the right to the end. I like the guys in front of him. Yeah, I mean that that's, that that says a lot. It's not easy to do, and good for him, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he uh, like two feet off the gate. Guys would already be around and in front of him. I mean, he just could not get off the gate fast with the bikes. Oh, and stuff. I know that that mesh. I mean, I can only imagine how much fun that is to get a good launch off. But those those top Euro Euro GP guys that do it all the time, they've got it completely wired. So they do, and he doesn't. But you no, know, I saw that. But he rode, you know, with what he had to work with and his, his limited experience uh, or no experience starting off a metal mesh, a steel mesh. He did great. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey. Um. What I wanted to ask you here. Um. Just say, what about uh, again, Brett? Here, throw me some uh, some fun questions here and stuff like that. Because I went to watch that 1984 again. Kind of Carl Bastido went. We went to to the Italy to Italy. Those races are uh, together. So that was a uh, cool. And to bring Carl back into it, he you guys he hosted at Moto Park 1984 five and six some uh, rounds of the GPS and stuff like that. I mean, you did that. I'm assuming. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, I I uh, I rode a 500 GP there. Didn't do that great. I forget what I finished. Uh, uh, maybe 12th or 13th or something. It wasn't much of a field, except for all the Euro guys, obviously. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, I raced there. I raced at Carl's uh, GP, and uh, I was I was I always used to jokingly call it Carl's bag because it was so rocky. <laughs> hey, and and also. I, because of the people you met and stuff like that, did you not host some of the GP riders? Like, who did you host and stuff like yeah, that? Yes, I, I host more than one on more than one occasion. Yeah, once I went over there, and met a bunch of people. And then they uh, they wanted to, uh, you know, the Gerchan and Hank, and then there was one or two other riders as well. They all they all found out that I could uh, pick them up at the airport in Toronto and accommodate them and take them out practice and, and, and take them to Unadilla. So I took them to Unadilla a couple of years in a row, those guys, and, and also to the, to the to Mobile Park. Uh, so I, I arranged transportation to get up there to the race and back to my house, infiltrated my house for the whole week, and I took them to local practice places in the whole nine yards. And, uh, yeah, so I, they helped me over there, those guys, nice, nice people. And, uh, you know, very considerate. And so I, I bent over backwards and did what I could to help them over here uh, uh, do these races at Unadilla and, and Carl's and whatnot. Right, because we didn't actually specify that. But that's why Canada was such an easy, a, a good around one time and another one was just kind of an international race for guys because it was the week before the American Grand Prix that was at Unadilla. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I even agreed to go pick up uh, Gertjan Van Doren and his motorcycle and his mechanic uh, one year. There wasn't a Canadian race, but I, he, he told me, Mike, says, I, we're flying from Amsterdam to New York City. I want you to come and get me and take me to Unadilla. And, and I'd never been to New York City, and I agreed, and then I opened up the map, and I regretted it. Because <laughs> I said, well, from Oshawa to Unadilla is five hours, but... Washington, New York City Airport's double. Right, right. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yep. <laughs> so I reluctantly, I, I agreed to it, and then I agreed to it, 
and I wouldn't let I wouldn't let him down because he did some things for me over there that uh, they were irreplaceable, right? And uh, I'm not a jerk, so I'm going to honor my uh, my promise. But I, I kind of regretted it because of the distance. <laughs> All right, right now we Oshawa to New York City. Waited a day overnight to get the bike. It was delayed in customs. All the way back to Oshawa, uncreated practice. Practiced around Oshawa, uh, locally near where the, the Blackstock track is there. Yeah. Uh, uh, some of my favorite practice spots nearby. And then load up and go down there Friday night to get and do the GP. Jeez. Oh, man. Okay. Well, and um, I, I want to, obviously, I can't let you go here. I don't want to keep you uh, here all night. Of course we could, but uh, I, I can't let you <laughs> I've got uh, I've got to hear your best uh, Ross Pedersen story. I'm hearing I, I'm being uh, uh, told here something about stealing a trailer wheel, and the guy didn't even know it just to replace on his own on his trailer. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, Ross and I are going to Quebec. We're we're going together. This is back when when I was Mister Sixth Place and he was winning everything, so he was my <laughs> buddy, right? And uh, of course, we're splitting on gas. Uh, and I, like, I invited Ross out to Oshawa to practice at the Oshawa Competition Club track and the club track and stuff. And he and I were practicing together and everything. He was hanging around in Ontario as well to be to be situated, uh, headquartered nicely to go to all these Quebec races that had a lot more money and more prize money and better races than Ontario had at the time. So he was hanging around Oshawa, Toronto area, and where I lived. So we ended up going together, and we had bikes on the trailer. And I think it was his trailer behind his funny silver Dodge van he had back then. This is back when I was riding Can-Ams, I believe, and he was riding Yamaha first year. Mm-hmm. So we went to Quebec, and, and his trailer, the, the wheel bearings were shot or something, something serious. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, we're going uh, we're going up the road from this motel near the track, but we just limped in there with a serious trailer problem. <laughs> next, next thing you know, Ross, is, Ross tells me, well, do you see that place back there all lit up? And I said, what place? It was some, you know, trailer RV sales place, right? And that night, there's nobody there. Nice, we're going in there, and, and I'm lifting trailers up and putting blocks under the axle. He's got the wheel, the speed wrench out, and stealing the wheel, the tire <laughs> assembly off the trailer, and putting it on his own. So, never a dull moment, man. <laughs> oh, man. that's uh, I'm not sure how often that story gets told, but that's a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah this is, it, 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 I'd like to avoid... Uh, contact with law enforcement in the near future if you don't tell it to anybody yeah no that's between that's just between the two of us don't worry i'll edit that out sure i will no i won't <laughs> not a chance <laughs> he was all about maximizing profit on a weekend so that's why he didn't want to buy one eh? oh jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways I, I kid i kid you not okay yeah, that man. really happened that's amazing hey, do, you, do you keep in touch with any of these old racers I keep in touch with the odd one of them, not so much. I don't keep on rocks anymore, uh, Ross anymore. Darren, Sh- Darren Shruga is a real good buddy of mine. Oh, he stayed yeah. at my house for months. I haven't talked to Darren in years. Paul Kingsley sees him. Paul Kingsley, my best buddy. I talk to him every week, and uh, he lives an hour away from where I'm standing. And he, of course, he's the, the, the current referee for the Pro Series. And he sees a lot of these riders that uh, you know my former buddies. He sees them in person at, at the events, right? Right, right. Okay. I just kind of, I just kind of get the four hundred one through through Paul. I'm not in touch with many of them anymore. Right. Actually, uh, Brett said I should ask you your best Paul Kingsley story too, but uh, I don't know. Do we have time for that? No, I don't think we do. <laughs> no, there's too many trips to the emergency ward in a coma. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> he, he, Paul had a number of nasty concussions. I had to pick him up and gather him up, him and his bike, and take him to the local emergency ward. And he woke up so, with smelling salts a few hours later, and I bring him back to where we're staying. A few so, hours later. 
<laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, no, Paul's had a nasty habit of ringing his, uh, ringing his bell. Wow. Hey, did you have, like, when you were racing pro in 1984 and stuff, when you won the, the Nationals, the yeah. 500 champ, who, did you have a mechanic? Yeah. Who was your mechanic? Yeah, I had a mechanic by the name of Ron Frost. Long time, Ron, 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 Ron Frost is his name, F-R-A-U-T-F. Yeah, he okay. used to work at a dealership, a haunted dealership in uh, in Whitby called Brooklyn Cycle. He was a mechanic there. He was my buddy. I knew him for years. He was an Oshawa competition club rider. He, like, he rode enduros and stuff uh, as a hobby, and he was a, a proper licensed motorcycle mechanic. I got uh, I got additional money from Honda Canada to um, to pay him to come with me for that whole summer to go out to BC and do the BC National Alberta, oh, cool. Austin, and then back to Ontario. So he got like a big, he got a month off work. And I get, I got equal money from Honda Canada to pay him to come with me. Oh, nice. And that was the year I won. Yeah. So I, I did. I actually did a mechanic for like four weeks in my entire career. Really? That's it, eh? Four weeks. Yep. And that was the only year I won. I wonder if that's a coincidence. <laughs> um, mechanics would say no. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> hey, we never really talked about this either. I mean, I kind of want to ask if, I mean, there's a, well... This was basically the only year, I mean, the Motocross of Nations happened, and then there were still some GPs left afterwards. I mean, that's likely never going to happen again. So it's going to be tough for a Canadian to get over and do their first uh, MXGP race without committing yep. to a season. You know what I mean? Like, would you say that is still something like, I mean, if you saw the new series, it starts in March, and uh, for goodness sake, in England. Uh, so uh, the weather's going to be pretty rough, I'm assuming. But uh would you suggest uh, someone takes a run at it and goes for uh, the GP style, the GP? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, everything is so different now. There, I mean, with no prize money and the and the and the sponsors right. are paying the paying the ticket for the riders and whatnot. What little I know about it, I mean, it's a different playing field altogether. But back then, I was getting start money the GPs and I get prize money for the finishes plus the international races paid start money and prize money. So I could actually like be pretty much self-supportive over there before the Canadian season started where it's not right. the same now right, right right so that would obviously be a consideration but as far as getting experience to learn how to be to be a, a faster better rider oh absolutely I learned more uh, I learned more over there uh, in, in doing my my time in Europe before the Canadian season started than I did in the States in the States the main problem was I was at a hard time finding good practice tracks and and, and the ability the ability to practice with good guys. I had a hard time with that in the States because, you know, your, your Johnny O'Meara's and your Brock Lovers, they had all their private tracks and this and that. And unless you knew the guys personally and you and got invited to go ride with them, you were going to some public track and you were just laughing at a bunch of bozos and, and <laughs> you're not riding with good guys, right? And, and, and swerving it around, swerving around slow people and dealing with all that crap. But, uh, I mean, over in Europe, I mean, the, the top riders over there, they treated me like I was just a brother. They didn't care that I was just a Canadian. That wasn't very good. They they let me come. They told me, "Oh, we're going to go to this track on Wednesday morning. Are you going to come with us?" And I said, "Yeah, I got my own bike, my van. Of course, I'm going where you're going." So I and they were cool. And I went to the same training places as them. And they just took me in like I was a like I was a buddy, you know. So there was no uh, none of this uh, nose in the air stuff like the states has, and the difficulty <laughs> to get connect, connected. Hey, what was what was your big training thing? Were you a big cyclist? Were you a big runner? What did you do? I'm a runner. I'm a runner. I, no matter how much I ran, I mean, I did a bit of swimming and I did a bunch of cycling, but running I felt was the best for me. As I, I never, I never felt I had enough wind. You know, I was trying to do. I, I did a lot of wind sprints and ran up sand hills and did a lot of running. Sometimes I'd just run straight for 45 minutes on a flat ground, or sometimes I, 
in Holland, I was running a motocross track and then a, a road and going to the track and run a lap around the same motocross track and back to the, the place where we started in 45 minutes. All this kind of stuff, but mostly running I did. Yeah, I was okay. mostly running. I thought I did all the other normal in-gym exercises, your, 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 your core workout and all that other kind of stuff. Right. All right, Mike. Well, uh, I mean, I got a couple more things I want to ask. Could we play one last little game here? What if um, if I throw like a name from back in the day and some more current ones, if you would, if, would you be able to just kind of throw the first word that comes to your mind? You know what I mean? If I say a rider and you say, here's what you think kind of thing? Sure, go ahead. All right, let's uh, let's take it back a bit. Okay, so we kind of talked about, I'll go, okay, Al Dick. Al Dick, uh, just extremely fast, talented guy. <laughs> okay, Doug Hoover. Ah, uh, yeah, tough, tough, strong guy. I know Doug and his family personally. Great, great guy. Uh, he was good. Very determined, strong guy. Good guy. Okay, and Ross Peterson. Do you say Peterson or Peterson? Yeah, uh, Peter Ross Peterson. Everyone said Peterson. If you ask him to say his name, he says Peterson. Oh, there you go. So I'm not. <laughs> so I'm. I'm supposed to choose what one or two words to describe him? Well, would goat? Would you? Is he the goat? Oh yeah, definitely. He was, if, if, if he didn't have a bike problem, I was screwed. You know, <laughs> the guy was that tough. <laughs> okay, Basically. Serge Greg. The, 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 best, the best of the rest uh, at the time, unless he had a problem with his bike or something, because it was, it was a, a real uphill battle. The guy had, I tried to get matches, fitness level, and so on. And I, I had the speed at some tracks, but... I didn't have the fitness level to do it to the end. Not like he did. <laughs> okay. How about uh, Serge Gregoire? Well, Serge is a great guy. He was very, very fast guy. Good guy. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, just, just another good, just a good fast rider from back in the day. He's an awesome guy. Glenn Nicholson? Yeah, Glenn's, uh, Glenn was uh, was pretty good. No, Glenn was pretty good. He was from uh, Mississauga, I think, and uh, I ran into him and hit him at some club races. Um, at the Streetsville Club, and uh, then he started doing the CMA stuff, and uh, yeah, I raced him against him much. He was uh, he was good. How about Carl Valancourt? Yeah, Carl Valancourt is younger than me. I taught a lot of I taught a I taught a motocross school in Quebec um, for um, for for Yamaha Yamaha Canada motocross schools, and I was the instructor. And he was there on a eighty five or something, um, and all he wanted to do was do jumps. <laughs> Okay, and we were treat, doing the track at Overton. There wasn't very many jumps. <laughs> right, right. So we were, I was doing some corner instruction, and he was he was thoroughly bored. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, you know, but it's a true story. But I know him because he's a lot, he's a lot younger than me. Uh, but uh, no, he's a good guy. He and he did extremely well, uh, uh, extremely well in his career. Okay, yeah, I got some other names here that are much younger, but uh, you you'll certainly be familiar with them. But uh, how about I got remember Kevin Moore? Yeah, Kevin Moore. I remember Kevin Moore. He was the new. He was the new Honda Canada signing here. Right after I'd been with him already like three years, and he got signed up to ride for Honda Canada. He was a, he was fast, man. That kid was really good. Yeah, I remember racing him a few times, and I'm pretty sure he beat me a few times too. He was younger and coming up, and I was already like age 25, 6, and he was coming up uh, fast. <laughs> hey, what about uh, Chucky Collins? I Yeah, his, <laughs> his, his dad ran holy golly, and uh, yeah, and his track owner's kid. I don't know much about Chucky. I remember him racing, uh, uh, racing back in the day when I was racing. That's I really don't know much other than that. He was he was that was pretty good at his home track. I think. Yeah, I know. I, I'm in London, so I had to throw that out there for the local guys. 
Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Okay, now let's let's uh, now. There have been some uh, some heavy hitters that kind of came through the ranks after you know after you were done and stuff. But being uh, being a, a student of the sport and stuff, I'm sure you'll know these guys. But, uh, just what if I mentioned like uh, JSR? <laughs> JSR was incredible, man. Yeah, JS. I mean, I, I was not racing pro anymore when JSR came into his prime. Uh, but yeah, that he and and, and um, don't want to jump ahead on you, but he and Blair Morgan, both of those guys, yeah, they were they were better than I ever was. <laughs> right, Blair was kind of next on my list there. Now the argument sometimes goes the goat. Some people would throw JSR's name in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it's close. I mean, it's a bit of a different era. Yeah. You know, Ross Peters is obviously a few years older than JSR is, but JSR was incredible, man. All right. How about uh, Marco Dubé? Uh, yeah, Marco Dubé did great in his career. Again, it's a bit of a different time area there, but I think Marco, I have nothing but good things to say about all these guys. They all love motocross. They all tried their best to, to, to do as best as they could in their careers. And, uh, yeah, Marco Dubé is great. When Paul Kingsley and I, uh, we promoted a race, uh, the first ever Blackstock race, we paid Marco Dubé start money to come. Okay. We, we paid him just, just so that uh, Chris Palmer and Ryan Gold wouldn't have their way. <laughs> nice. I did it probably purposely did it. <laughs> I, I gave me, yeah, I paid him a few hundred bucks and bought and went and reserved him a motel. <laughs> nice. I did. Just just so he come to the Blackstock provincial opener. <laughs> and did he win I said, it? Hell with you guys thinking you're just gonna be a waltz all over this. I said, We're gonna give maybe Super Marco Dubé down from Quebec, made things interesting for Christ's sake. That's what we did. And Marco took the win? Ah I think he did a big handset over the tabletop there one one moto. <laughs> and I think he won some other models. I don't think he won the overall. <laughs> he tried his best. Now, what about, uh, I mean, we moved to the guy who's got now, who just, you know, last, uh, well, two seasons ago now, I guess, broke JSR's record, took his sixth Canadian championship, Colton Fasciati. Yeah. <laughs> yeah again, uh, you know, I'm, I'm well, well, well out of the sport since uh, Colton uh, had his reign. Uh, but, uh, yeah, fantastic rider. Fantastic, man. So smooth. Big, tall, lanky guy, kind of like Alan Dick, like uh, in, in physical appearance, but good. Extremely good and extremely fast. Good for him, man. He had a great a great career. Right, right. And now we've got, uh, I mean, uh, with the Supercross stuff, I mean, we've got our kind of our best uh, best shot. Again, we got uh, Jess Pettis down there, going to take another run at it. Uh, any thoughts on Jess and his uh, Supercross aspirations? I was blown away at how well Jess did. Uh, I guess it was, it wasn't this past spring. It was the season before, wasn't it? He did the series down there. In the yeah, because his knee got him this year, this past year. Right, right. So it was uh, 2020 spring. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I, I watched all the AMA stuff uh, here on TV, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought Jess did amazing. The guy's a very self confident guy, and he gets good starts down there against all those good guys, like every race. Uh, I was really impressed by that. He's not. He's not reading jerseys and getting intimidated at all by those guys. He just gets good starts and goes out there and throws down and goes fast. So I, I was really impressed by that. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's for sure. So yeah, hopefully it goes well again. It sounds like we got a pretty good list of guys going to take a run at uh, East West four fifteen and stuff like that this year too. So we should have some more Canadians to cheer for this year. So that uh, hopefully that'll be good. That'll be nice. I'll tell you what. It's been abs- It's been edging your seat stuff watching Dylan and what he's done over there. I mean, that's hard over there. Those guys. Those guys do that year round. They don't do Supercross. Those those top outdoor guys over there are animals, and uh, 
I think Dillon did more than respectable given his limited time and experience with that kind of racing. I thought he did great. Right. Next up for him is Paris Supercross, so uh, hopefully that goes well. Yeah, I just pray he doesn't wreck himself over there. Right, right. Uh, a lot, a lot. Paul Kingsley sent me a, a screenshot of Dylan upside down at a Supercross recently. <laughs> well, yeah, those photos are out there. Pretend <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't see that. Biggest thought that Dylan doesn't go uh, rubber side up at the Paris Supercross. Hope he keeps it uh, keeps it safe and healthy and gets back home in one piece. It's only one race, right? Right. Unfortunately, they pay uh, appearance fee kind of thing too. So it doesn't really the fin- it isn't about making you know earning your your dinner kind of thing. So hopefully, he just kind of rides within himself for sure. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I hope we don't see him on the highlight reel. If we do, if if we do, it's for winning a race, not uh, not the other, right? Right. All right, Mike. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I got a couple a couple last things here. Like, what, what did you do for work? What do you do for work? Oh, I I'm a a business manager for a company in Ontario. I'm coming up, coming up to the 20-year anniversary of working for the same company. It's a British company, and they have quite a presence here in Canada. It's, uh, they sell uh, ISO standards for industry, so I'm the sales guy for Ontario for them. Okay, you love it so much, you're not even going to say the name of it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> okay. pretty much. And how about family? Family. My mom and dad are still alive, believe it or not. They're 88 and 90, still alive. They both live within five minutes where I'm sitting. Right. And... Uh, my younger brother lives in Aurelia, works full-time still, uh, self-employed guy, computer software uh, engineer. And, of course, my wife uh, here is, uh, she's a, yeah, a regulatory officer for a big company, 32 years seniority. Oh, wow. And she works uh, from home. So we've, I work from home doing my thing. She works home for doing her thing. And we're nice in a nice lakefront place here with boats and snowmobiles and all the things. So it's all good. Wow, that's great, man. That's awesome. I love hear. I love to hear those good stories. People riding off nicely into the sunset after after a moto career. Do you do you still have yeah, a motorbike? As long as, as, as long as you don't bring up that burned van again, we're good. Yeah, I, I don't need to talk about that anymore. I just needed to hear you tell the story. Yeah, and you never forget that, will you? No, no. I, that's. Uh, I just. I. It, it, the problem is, I can't. <laughs> I've, the people listening to that story. I mean, we've probably all got it slightly different, but we can all picture you running down the road after a burning van. <laughs> <laughs> with, it, with the loading ramp dragging off the <laughs> off the bumper at full throttle and uh, disappearing in the sunset, you know, it wasn't ideal. So that's let's, let's just drop that now. That was a, that's a nightmare for me. Do you ever go to the races these days? No, you know what? I just I tend to take the lazy approach and uh, stay close to home and watch them on the big screen. Okay, all right. All right, Mike. Well, man, we've uh, we've crossed over the hour barrier here, so we should probably let you get on with your life. Yeah, that's good. Hey, listen, I appreciate it. It's always great talking about moto. Uh, I have no regrets about uh, the career path I chose back in the day, and it was it was great. I met some incredible people that I still keep in touch with today, and I have no regrets. It was all all good. Well, that's really cool, man. I really enjoyed talking with you. Those stories were amazing, and uh, like I say, some I don't know why there just always seems to be better stories from back in the day. I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe everybody's a little bit too robotic these days, but back in the day, it seems like people were just edge of their seat, just uh, just full throttle, nonstop. It seemed. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it was. You know, it's a it's a different time, but uh, you know what are you gonna do? That that's how it was. And uh, uh, I listen. It was a pleasure to speak with you today, Bill. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Thank you. And uh, man, good luck in the future. And uh, we'll see you up there. At, uh, see you up there in Bob Cage on the lake there sometime. Well, come on up. You know we'll. Uh, 
Well, we'll have a fresh uh, a cold one here ready to pop for you, and we'll go take you for a nice boat ride or something. <laughs> Sounds great. All right, buddy. Well, hey, thank you very much again, and, uh, well, hopefully uh, we'll see you or hear from you somewhere soon. That's fine, Bill. Thank you very much, and you're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.